Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Post-secondary COVID plans. Just launched a survey today to find out how many people are vaccinated. The questions BC students will have to answer before they get back to campus. Counterfeit mask exemption cards. I started to see the control that was happening and I just... I'm just not for control. The Vancouver Island woman offering fakes on Facebook and kicked out. It's uh, definitely uh, not a really fun day today. Why the Whitecaps are parting ways with their head coach. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC has just recorded its highest daily COVID-19 case count in more than four months. We have 867 new cases, bringing our total number of cases past 163,000. There are three new COVID-19 deaths to report. All three of them occurred in the Interior Health region. 159 people are in hospital. That's a jump of 10. And 84 people are in the ICU. We have more than 5,600 active cases in this province and 75.8% of eligible British Columbians, 12 and over, are now fully immunized. Bring in Keith Baldry now because there has been that recent spike in hospitalizations, Keith. Mm -hmm. And now we're getting a better uh, idea, I guess, of exactly who's ending up there. Yeah, I just got some figures this afternoon, Chris. It gives a pretty good window into who's in hospital in terms of age and vaccination status. 213 cases over the last two weeks are from August 12th to 25th. Here's how it breaks down by age and by vaccination status. First of all, people between the age of uh, zero and 17 years, just one case. Uh, but you see the numbers there for 18 to 39, 44 cases, 86.4% unvaccinated. Uh, people between 40 and 59, 68 cases Again, similar high numbers of unvaccinated people, 100 people over 60, unvaccination rate there of 72%. Again, I want to go back to, you just mentioned in four months, the biggest size case number. Go back to late April. We had a similar case number back then of more than 800. The last time we crossed 800. But back then, we had more than 500 people in hospital. We had more than 175 people in the ICU. The big difference today, we're having similar case numbers on a daily basis, but our hospital and ICU numbers are nowhere near what we had back then because we have so many more people vaccinated more proof that vaccinations are effective and we need to have more people vaccinated to keep those hospital numbers down and icu numbers down the case counts are going to continue to be high folks but we don't want to go back to the days of 500 people in hospital and more than 175 in icu i don't think we're going to get there because so many of us have that shot in one arm and perhaps two doses and that number continues to increase on a daily basis and let's hope the registrations among the 700 or so thousand British Columbians who don't have any shots will increase. Yep, they are. All right, sounds good. Thank you, Keith. With just a couple of weeks to go before the start of classes, most of BC's post-secondary institutions have rolled out their own vaccination requirements. As Kamal Karamali reports, while the schools are stopping short of requiring proof of vaccination, they will be asking the vaccine status of everyone on campus. 
Classes kick off in just over a week here at SFU. And at this vaccine clinic at the Burnaby Mountain campus, some students are only now getting their first jab in preparation for the fall semester. Coming back on campus and like going to see people and there's some people that might not take it. So just to reduce the risk. SFU is one of multiple universities that has launched its own COVID-19 safety plan. After the province said earlier this week, post-secondary students will not have to provide proof of vaccination to attend classes. Now, SFU joins UBC, Thompson Rivers University and UVic as post-secondary institutions that will instead require students to confidentially reveal their vaccine status to their schools. It is an operational challenge for us. But how exactly will that be implemented? What our hope is is to find a third-party provider, a platform, that can take this data, um, collate it for us. For those who are not fully vaccinated or choose not to disclose their vaccine status, the school's plans call for rapid COVID-19 testing for the rest of the students. We will be providing COVID-19 testing for all students, faculty and staff. UBC has said rapid testing will be a requirement for those who haven't gotten both doses. But SFU taking a lighter approach, at least for now, testing will not be mandatory to attend classes. We're not using the language of mandate. And in part because, again, um, we want to really encourage people to do the right thing. Both schools have not yet decided on what would happen to students who decide not to disclose their vaccine status or take part in rapid testing, saying potential penalties are currently being discussed. For many, the plan doesn't go far enough to ensure a safe learning environment. That does not convey any sense of safety heading back into a classroom where there is no social distancing, where people are packed very tightly together. These students, though, believing their classmates will make the right call and do what they did, just get vaccinated. I, I trust my fellow students because obviously it's their life, so I don't believe anyone wants to lose their life. Kamal Karamali, Global News. And the government continues to push forward with indoor mask, man, uh, mask requirements at the moment. But on Vancouver Island, one woman would rather not comply. And she's trying to help you cheat the requirements too. Kylie Stanton exposes her plan. I don't think I would like to be on camera right now. I don't mind commenting. It may be the one time this Nanaimo woman is okay with covering up her face. But of course, this interview doesn't involve wearing a mask. I complied the first time around. I wasn't a fan, but I did what I was told. Now, with the mask mandate back in BC, she has a new plan. A face mask medical exemption card that reads, I have a medical condition that prevents me from wearing a mask or a face covering. But the catch, it's completely fake. Where did the card come from? Um, from a freedom rally that I went to in July that they were handing out. And there's not just the one. She's created a Facebook group, Island Mamas Unite, offering up the cards to anybody who wants one. I started to see the control that was happening and I just, I'm just not for control. But due to backlash, the woman has had to take control of her approach. First off, making the Facebook group completely private. She posts, so if you have someone who truly belongs here, message me their name or get them to message me. If you decide you don't agree with this group, leave. Don't call the frickin' cops on me. 
Nanaimo RCMP confirmed they did receive a report and attended the residence, but determined there was no criminal offense. There is nothing wrong that I'm what I'm doing. The question now is whether or not they will actually pass for the real thing. And despite being stamped with the Canadian Red Cross emblem, along with the Canadian Human Rights Commission's contact information listed on the back, the Premier has his doubts. The forgeries that you talk about uh, may appear, but I don't believe they'll be successful. And with respect to enforcement, it's not unlike uh, with respect to uh, nightclubs or the hospitality sector. If they have difficulty with patrons, uh, they call law enforcement. But for those willing to try their luck, the fake face mask medical exemption cards are ready for pickup outside the Nanaimo home. And they come fully protected, laminated and all. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Despite widespread popular support, BC's vaccine certification system is facing a small but vocal and increasingly well-organized opposition. Certain groups are now planning a series of protests outside hospitals and building a growing online directory of businesses that are pledging not to check their customers' vaccine status. Aaron MacArthur reports. Vancouver, Kamloops, Victoria... Come the 1st of September, these hospitals will be the sites of what organizers hope will be significant protests. We are allowing our rights and freedoms and sovereignty to be removed at an alarming rate. The group calling itself Nurses Against Lockdowns, planning to demonstrate. I think that it, similar groups of people attend these events. You don't want to give it too much credence because it distracts from the um, work uh, of people who are out there um, putting their lives on the line. It's a move healthcare professionals say is irresponsible. And you're potentially impacting people who are in a vulnerable state who are seeking emergency health care. And that's what I take exception to. Protesting during the pandemic has become a common sight. People opposed to masks, closures, vaccines, and now vaccine passports. Despite more than 75% of British Columbians being vaccinated, some businesses now won't enforce this new passport. You can find the list willing to take a stand after agreeing to have your email address tracked. The Premier says this is an unprecedented step, but the passport was implemented at the request of business leaders. If some businesses want to disregard that, then um, patrons will decide where they want to go. Uh, consumers are supporting this, and, and I think that's why most businesses are excited about it. The passport set to be implemented September 13th and will be with us until at least January. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A group of misguided protesters cornered the Premier at a restaurant in Vernon last night. Did you, Thank did you. you just want to come up and mess with the yeah. 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 In a video making the rounds on social media, Horgan was confronted at a restaurant as he sat down to eat with a group of seven others. The people who recorded the video made a big deal about the group size, believing the Premier was contradicting COVID-19 restrictions. We checked, and while there are restrictions on indoor group sizes in the central Okanagan because of COVID-19, they do not apply as far north as Vernon, so the Premier was doing nothing wrong. Premier John Horgan touring the devastated parts of the province today, seeing firsthand the damage that's disrupted so many lives due to wildfires. At the same time, he's getting an inside look at a fire suppression success story in Logan Lake and what could be the future of fireproofing the province. John Waugh reports. 
The plan was to continue to burn the fuel that might feed the out-of-control White Rock Lake fire. But as a large 3,000-hectare planned ignition was once again postponed due to unfavorable winds. This is not the way to treat people. The delay only fanned the frustrations of evacuees from more than 1,300 properties, still with no clue when they can return home. To those that have been out of their homes for a long period of time, I understand the frustration and anger and the uncertainty. B.C. Premier John Horgan offering his sympathy, but no promises of extra support beyond what's already in place. We've certainly approved, I think it's $2,000 initially for those who have been on evacuation for an extended period of time. There's financial disaster assistance programs that we're constantly modifying to meet the changing circumstances. In the middle of this devastating wildfire season, the province is already planning for the future, pointing to fire-safe communities like Logan Lake, 18 years in the making. Measures as simple as installing rooftop sprinklers and as complex as managing the surrounding forest. The Tremont Creek fire now classified as being held. We today are seeing the benefit of what that can do. Um, and we are more than happy to share our story. Many communities say that story would be even better received if it came with a commitment of stable funding. We'll put those programs in place and I'm confident the budget 2022 will demonstrate to communities that we're on board and we're right behind them. Evacuees asking the Premier to focus on the pain they're feeling at the present as this wildfire emergency for them is far from over. John Hua, Global News, Logan Lake. And now some big news in local sports. The Vancouver Whitecaps have fired their head coach, Mark Dos Santos. And Squire is here with the latest. Squire, you might have sensed that this was coming. This was in the air for a while. Like people you talk to around the Whitecaps, even though the Whitecaps have gone eight straight without a loss in MLS, there was still this feeling like, well, you know, the other shoe could drop at any moment. And last night when they lost to Pacific FC of Victoria in one of those Canadian Champion League games, that was the final straw. That's when... Axel Schuster, who runs the Whitecaps, felt that Mark DeSantos had to go. Now, DeSantos was in the final year of his contract, and even when he was doing interviews this year, when things were not going well and they were down in Utah, you always got the sense that even Mark DeSantos knew that he was skating on very thin ice. He did a lot of complaining about having to play those games on the road. Was it 31 in a row on the road, which is not easy. But the Whitecaps just defensively last night were terrible. They won on Saturday against LAFC, a game they probably shouldn't have won. They were lucky to win that. So they just felt they were going in the wrong direction. His contract's running out. He's not Axel Schuster's guy, so why not make the move now? And maybe they can rally and make the playoffs. Although Vanny Sartini, the guy who's going to run the team, he is with the Whitecaps and has been with the Whitecaps, but he is not the future head coach, no matter Mm -hmm. what. All right, I know you got much more uh, coverage planned in the back half of the show, so we'll let you get to it. Thanks very much, Squire, for your take on the firing today. A Burnaby woman terrified for her family back in Afghanistan. How she made it out and what she says will happen to the people she loves if Canada doesn't help them get out. That's next on the News Hour. Fluctuating water levels and the potentially catastrophic impact on a population of fish in Okanagan Lake. That's coming up later on the news hour. And what they unearthed in the Egyptian desert that could be a link to when whales walked on land. That's later as well.
Right now, though, Canada's immigration minister says the country will continue to support Afghan and Canadian nationals despite ending its evacuation efforts in Afghanistan. My direct message to you is that we are going to continue to exhaust every effort to reunite you with your loved ones. Because even though the military evacuation may have ended, there is no end to our commitment to you, to your families, and to the people of Afghanistan. Marco Mendocino says Canada airlifted around 3,700 people from Afghanistan. He says 500 seats were also secured on a U.S. plane. International evacuation flights are continuing just a day after deadly attacks near Kabul's airport. Thousands of people, of course, have been scrambling to flee before the withdrawal of U.S. forces at the end of the month. Now, the spiraling crisis in Afghanistan also involves the fate of women and girls in the country under the Taliban rule. As Nitu Garcha reports, there's mounting pressure on the Canadian government to help women left behind escape a regime that's historically stripped them of even their most basic freedoms. I'm worried about my family's safety. Physically, she's sitting in a peaceful Burnaby Park, but Chiba Mohammadi's mind is in Afghanistan with her parents, two brothers and five younger sisters, all in hiding. Picturing this every day, they're going to be forced marched by the Taliban fighters. I cannot believe this is happening. The Canadian government has the power to do more for Afghans. Mohammadi wants the Canadian government to provide a rapid program to bring families to safety and encourage neighboring countries to open their borders for Afghans seeking asylum. We sleep, we cry, we eat and cry. In recent weeks, she says her father-in-law was killed when a bullet hit his head during the fighting as the Taliban made its advance across Afghanistan. Then her cousin, a member of the Afghan military, was brutally shot to death and his body burned by the Taliban. But it's her female relatives who are most at risk now. After that, because of the fighting we're going on, my sister got injured a bullet. Mohammadi says this letter from the Taliban handed out near her home community in the last month is asking for lists of girls age 15 and older to marry their members after their victory over Western occupiers, even as the Taliban leadership promises they've changed. They are not changing. We have tons of evidence from 1990s, how they behaved, how they brutally punished women. Women are so worried about their safety, their life, their a protection, the protection that were promised to them by international communities. Mohammadi, a permanent resident who's been in Canada for three years, has lived through two Taliban takeovers in 2016 and 2017. She says what she's seeing and hearing is happening today is even worse, and the clock is ticking. They're just uh, waiting to the U.S. troops get out, and that's when their violence is going to start. I am worried about after August 31st, what will happen to people. Nitu Garcha, Global News. An unsettling end to another week of campaigning for federal Liberal Party leader Justin Trudeau. He was forced to cancel an event in the Toronto area this evening due to protests. And his other daily events were somewhat chaotic too. Miranda Anthistle has more on what he was up against and a wrap of what the other leaders were doing. 
Chaotic scenes on the campaign trail in the GTA, where Liberal leader Justin Trudeau's visit to a bakery quickly went from sweet to sour as an angry anti-vaccine mob gathered to berate him. And in Richmond Hill, a father who lost his son in the Tehran plane crash last January confronted Trudeau, asking why he hasn't kept his promise of justice and accountability. Our family been killed in Iran, and you try to get negotiate and close and friend with Iran. What is it? No, we're not. I understand you're hurt. Trudeau's leadership skills are being criticized both at home and abroad, including the handling of the evacuation in Afghanistan. We continue to do everything we can and will continue to do everything we can to make sure that people uh, who have uh, processes with Canada, who have documentation for Canada, who've been engaging with Canada these past months, are able to come to Canada. The country's election taking place during another crisis, the pandemic. Trudeau vowing to set aside a billion dollars to help provinces roll out their own vaccine passports. An announcement likely to further incense the anti-vaccine hecklers. This event in Bolton, Ontario, cancelled over security concerns. Meanwhile, the Conservatives are on the East Coast, announcing their plan to increase paid sick leave for a serious illness from 26 weeks to 52. And on the issue of climate change, the Tories are facing criticism after O'Toole said he will reject the Liberals' new emissions target if elected and commit to the original one instead. We are going to meet our Paris commitments and we have a plan to get those emissions down while getting the country back to work. O'Toole also stopping for an impromptu photo op with veterans after touching down in Nova Scotia, where he met with supporters, reiterating his party's promises. Creating jobs, lowering taxes, helping families and seniors, and getting this country back on track again. Meanwhile, in Ontario, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh is campaigning in Thunder Bay. There is no excuse that our country as rich as ours can't make sure that every community in our country has clean drinking water. Prior to meeting with local Indigenous leaders, the New Democrats made a bold pledge committing $10 billion for setting up universal pharmacare. People won't get even worse because they couldn't maintain their health. It will save money for everyone and it will make sure people have a better quality of life. Miranda Anthesil. Global News. Up next, a brave girl steps forward to stop a groper. This case could be linked to other unsolved cases in the area. How they caught the suspect and why it's not the first time he's been before the courts. Also tonight, a major contributing factor in the crash that killed three young hockey players. Georgia Street and the Stanley Park Causeway recovering after an earlier crash. Southbound closed one of the lanes, so finally things getting back to normal, but still quite a bit of volume leaving downtown Vancouver along Georgia Street. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. In Global One, I'm Tim Bate. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
An unbelievable scene in New York City. Events that shocked us. Secret data collection. Technology that changed us. I think it's fake news. It was fake news. A possible epidemic. Disruption. 20 years of Global National. Friday, September 10th at 10 on Global. Vancouver police have made an arrest in connection with a shocking sexual assault earlier this month. That's when a 12-year-old girl reported being groped at Granville Island. And now a man who's on the National Sex Offender Registry has been charged. As Emily Lazatin reports, the VPD is trying to determine if he's also linked to a number of other sex assaults in the city. It happened here at Granville Island, a public place with people around where you'd expect to be safe. A 12-year-old girl reported she was groped on August 13. This led to the arrest of 42-year-old Derek Sangris. The case of the fourth victim who came forward, we were able to uh, uh, collect evidence. As a result of that, BC Prosecution Service did approve a charge of sexual assault and sexual interference in that case. Prior to the young girl coming forward, three other sexual assaults were reported to VPD mid-August, all in the same area, all minors, and some as young as 11. We are continuing to investigate and collect evidence in a number of other cases that have occurred, and we're looking at uh, the possibility uh, that some of those cases may be connected. Well, it's something that we want to disrupt. We believe so strongly that everybody should feel safe and comfortable to be outside, uh, walking uh, anywhere, including Granville Island, without the fear of sexualized violence. Sangris has an extensive history with the court system. In 2013, he was charged in a series of gropings at Pacific Center Mall in downtown Vancouver. He pleaded guilty to some charges, others were stayed. Court documents show he's also listed on the National Sex Offender Registry. Sexualized violence for those that perpetrate, it is, um, it's a very, very deep uh, and entrenched practice. And so for many, whether they come to the attention of the criminal legal system or not, it's rarely a one-off. And so this is a bigger problem that we have within our culture, within society. Sangris remains in custody. His next court date, September 1st, for a bail hearing. Emily Lazatin, Global News. Surrey RCMP say speed was a contributing factor in the crash that killed three promising young hockey players. It happened early Saturday morning near 160th and 104th Avenue. Mounties say the initial findings include the car traveling at a speed, as they say it, significantly higher than the posted limit of 30 kilometers an hour at the time of the collision. The crash claimed the lives of 16-year-old Caleb Reimer, 16-year-old Ronan Sharma, and 17-year-old Parker Magnuson. In order for us to sort of corroborate that evidence that they've gathered, we normally would look for a secondary computer within the vehicle so that we could confirm that data. Unfortunately, at this time, we haven't been able to retrieve that computer. And if we are able, we're not sure that it will be able to have that data retrieved based on the condition of the vehicle after impact. Coming up next, a sinking feeling on Okanagan Lake. How climate change is threatening a unique population of fish. And a little chihuahua with a big attitude, chasing a bear. Some good traffic news on the Patello Bridge, north and southbound, moving very well, unless you're behind this one semi-truck right here, but that's the exception. Everything's pretty good on this crossing. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. In Global One, I'm Tim Bain. 
A remarkable discovery in Egypt where researchers are showing off a 43 million year old fossil of a previously unknown amphibious four-legged whale species. It was found in an area once covered by sea that has provided discoveries in the past showing off the evolution of whales. This new whale had an estimated body length of three meters, weighed around 1,300 pounds. Scientists are now working to trace the transition of whales from land to sea. And this fossil may belong to a group of extinct whales that falls in the middle of that transition period. A freedom of information request by the BC Wildlife Federation has found that an early drawdown of Okanagan Lake has compromised a significant portion of the lake's shore-spawning kokanee salmon population. And as Travis Lowe reports, the kokanee kill-off could set restoration efforts back years, if not decades. Climate change is the big driver behind this. As the director of fisheries restoration for the BC Wildlife Federation, Jesse Zeman is frustrated with the water level management of Okanagan Lake. Our infrastructure isn't set up to manage the changes that we're experiencing in terms of runoff in the spring. When Zeman noticed low water levels this spring, he became concerned about the lake's shore spawning kokanee salmon population. And so he put in a freedom of information request with the provincial government. What we found in there is that the lake level had been brought down early. It had been flagged by the Okanagan National Alliance, by provincial biologists. They stopped reducing the water, but the province went out and did some sampling and found that in those areas that 75% of the eggs and the alvin, the fry, had been killed. We're trying to do better modeling. The man responsible for maintaining water levels in Okanagan Lake admits that better science is needed in order to make informed decisions that can prevent flooding and preserve fish stocks. When it comes to uh, lake level drawdown, it, it's really based on our inflow forecasts. Uh, and you know, we've struggled with that over the last few years uh, with the impacts of climate change that we're already seeing. In the meantime, though, environmentalists worry that this kokanee kill-off could set restoration efforts back by decades. Last year was the first return since the 1970s where we had well north of 300,000 fish. Zeman suggests that an interim solution to the problem may be to draw the lake level down during spawning season in October. However, Zeman maintains that any long-term fix will require funding for better science and the willingness to make decisions based on it. What we have to think about in the long term is that these floods and droughts get worse. Which means that unless something's done about it, this won't be the last time that kokanee salmon are left high and dry. Travis Lowe, Global News, Kelowna. In Health Matters, Health Canada has approved another vaccine to be administered to youth 12 and over. Moderna has been given the green light now. After a thorough and independent scientific review of the evidence, Health Canada says it's determined the vaccine is safe and effective in that age group. Until now, the Moderna shot was only authorized for use in people 18 years of age or older. Just ahead, the end of an era for the Vancouver Whitecaps. Squires got more on the club's decision to say goodbye to head coach Mark Dos Santos. And what might be the toughest chihuahua in the world. You're watching Global News Hour at 6.
Can't believe I'm saying it. One of the last summer weekends before the kids go back to school. One of the last, not the last. Let's see if it's going to feel like it, Yvonne. Yeah, it is for many spots, especially even across the south coast. Today was a bit of a transition. We had a blip in the forecast this morning. Cloud cover, a few isolated showers, but a nice clearing. We can see that overlooking English Bay this evening. Temperatures are currently sitting at 19, and we've got a southwesterly wind at around 13 kilometers per hour. There is an increase in cloud cover, a heads up overnight, but it'll still remain dry. The start of our Saturday morning will have cloud cover, but then it clears out. We've got a mainly sunny sky to kick things off for the beginning of the weekend, and it will be pleasant with temperatures getting closer to 21 degrees. At this hour, we're still seeing a few isolated showers, some instability with even a slight risk of a thunderstorm for the central interior and a few spots, especially near Cranbrook for the southeastern corners of the province. This is the next weather maker that we are tracking that will bring rain. It'll stay along the north and central coast. Now, the timeline, it intensifies overnight and through the day on Saturday. We've got 10 and up to 15 millimeters of rainfall along the coast. And then by the afternoon, the area of concern will be for the central interior where we're looking at the risk of thunderstorms. All areas towards the south, we've got a ridge of high pressure that's going to build in. We've got sunshine and it is warming up. So a heads up, especially towards the interior for the areas near the tops of Okanagan. It'll heat up over the weekend and then a bit of a reprieve into early next week, which will be much needed for the firefight situation across the province. And the latest for the fire danger rating, we're sitting at anywhere between low to moderate and a few spots at high because we've had a bit of a reprieve and we've been tracking some wet weather. Uh, the rain though along the northern half of the province will be windy as well. The risk of thunderstorms will be across the central interior areas towards the south. It does warm up, looks to remain dry with not much in terms of precipitation over the next few days. Whistler will see a fair bit of cloud cover in the morning, breaks towards the afternoon. A few areas across the island for the northern and western edge could be seeing a few showers. All areas across the south coast though will clear out, Mainly sunny sky, latter half of the weekend on Sunday. Pleasant, 22, a touch cooler, but dry over the next five days. Tonight's weather window, uh, we've got a bear, West Kelowna, how fitting. Uh, this one was in the front yard from Kristen. Chris? All right, well, we'll stay with the bear theme because it's um, entertaining. An amazing nature encounter to show you now, courtesy of Global Viewer Emmy Dillon. He sent us this video from Westwood Plateau in Coquitlam, which shows a tiny little dog chasing away a black bear. Their caption, always bet on the Chihuahua. It's a silent surveillance video, so there's no sound. But I'm sure if you imagine lots of high-pitched barking, <laughs> you can imagine what is going on in that driveway. But that bear is out of there. And you're right. Always bet on the Chihuahua. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Isn't that what they say, Squire? Yeah, and what did we say yesterday? Master Yoda, size matters not. (laughs) You're proving it. Well, you can learn from Star Wars, really. A lot about life you can learn from Star Wars. Okay. Uh, It's not often a coach who has an eight game unbeaten streak in league play gets fired, but that's what Axel Schuster, the boss of the Whitecaps, did to his head coach, Mark DeSantos, today. Uh, We're on a good run, result wise, but we could be even on a better one, maybe. So the Whitecaps are now looking for a new coach who will get them to the playoff promised land. Also tonight, satellite debris.
Obviously, nobody, uh, you know, nobody wants to see a coach shut no. the door, but that's kind of nice. the way it had to go. It's not nice at all. Mm-mm. But you got the feeling that all year, Mark DeSantos, the Whitecaps coach, was kind of standing at the end of a plank on the good ship Whitecap. And all the Whitecaps needed was a reason. Give us a reason to push you off. And that 4-3 loss to Pacific FC in Victoria last night was the reason the Whitecaps had to fire him, even though they'd been on a good roll in Major League Soccer play. But it was clear, even in that eight-game unbeaten streak, they were getting lucky. Max Crapo, their goalkeeper, was saving their tails, and obviously saving DeSantos' job, as it turned out, for a bit longer. But when you win only 22 of 77 MLS games, that was his record, and your contract is running out, your chances of survival are not very good. And Pacific FC have won a dramatic Canadian championship match against the Vancouver Whitecaps. Losing to the lower-tiered Pacific FC was embarrassing enough for the Whitecaps, but it also confirmed for sporting director Axel Schuster that his team needed new leadership on the ground. Yes, the Whitecaps had gone unbeaten in eight MLS matches under DeSantos, three wins and five draws, but maybe that was more good fortune and less a team ready to make a legitimate run for a playoff spot. That it is the wake-up call to go back and to focus also on the small things that we're not doing well because in reality we have uh, we had a great experience we had a great Saturday last week uh, went and and with a great result but uh, I am convinced if we play that game 10 times we lose it eight times so it, it's maybe also a little bit of a fake impression I also don't want to wait until the results cop- copies what we see on the pitch or saw on the pitch in several games. Schuster is a staunch believer in defense wins championships. Strong and tight at the back leads to joy and results on offense. So to have his team ventilated by a Canadian League team was the final straw that a change was needed. Prove and show more the desire to defend our ball, uh, to our, defend our goal and to fight together as a team, all 11 players in the structure to get the ball back after we lost it. Schuster says there's already a list of about 20 candidates to replace DeSantos. Previous MLS head coaching experience would be a plus, but not mandatory. For now, Whitecaps Director of Methodology, Vanny Sartini, will take over on an interim basis. The Whitecaps are still intent on making the playoffs, but they will not rush to hire the new head coach. You can way fast hire somebody, but it is hard to correct a mistake if you hire the wrong one. So it has to be the right one. We are not feeling rushed because we have, with Vanny, Ricardo and Yusuf, we have a group here that knows the club, that knows the league, that knows what's necessary to do. And and we will see um, uh, when the right candidate is ready. But uh, I also don't say if if we find the right one next week, we would not hire him because it would be too fast. So it's it's open. Yesterday, it looked like Cristiano Ronaldo was about to join Manchester City. Well, the rumors had the right city, but the wrong team. Today, he officially signed with Manchester United. Of course, that's a team he used to play for when he was in the Premier League from 03 to 09. Talks between United and Ronaldo apparently started on Thursday, so they went very well, very quickly. Uh, The BC Lions have avoided the COVID that sacked the Edmonton Elks this week. Now they can fully concentrate on their game tomorrow against Ottawa 
It's a 4 o'clock game. You can hear it live on AM 730, starting with the pregame show at 3. Now, of course, BC lost to the Elks last Thursday because their offense wasn't very good. Their defense, for the most part, was good. Okay, they could have been better against the running game, but they were still pretty good, and against the Red Blacks' low-scoring offense, they should be even better. Not like we played terrible as a defense. Uh, we played really good as a defense. Um, we haven't even given up that many touchdowns, you know. Um, so that's great, and especially in terms of the passing game, you know. So we're a very good coverage defense. Uh, we need to become more of a run defense in terms of uh, the defensive backs coming to the party. So we need to be more teed in and locked in on those. Vancouver's Rebecca Marino qualified for the U.S. Open main draw. First time in 10 years for her. She won her third qualifying match this week earlier today in three sets over uh, Belgium's Greek hey, Minen. Marino will play her first round match either Monday or Tuesday. One thing about Bryson DeChambeau, never a dull moment. Second round at the BMW Championship today, he had a chance to shoot 59. On his scorecard today, 12 threes and six fours. No fives. No deuces, but no fives. Anyway, that would uh, set up an eagle putt that he would make on the uh, par 5 16th. Now, on the final hole, six feet away from becoming the 13th player in PGA history to record a 59. No! Ooh. I know. I know. Well, 60's pretty good. He has a lead by uh, one shot over John Rahm and Patrick Cantlay. DeChambeau's at minus 16th. Mackenzie Hughes, Corey Connors are at minus 4. Still a great score, but that's going to haunt him for a while. <laughs> no doubt. Because it... It was really close. It, well... I mean, okay. Could have been closer. Asked, could have been closer. It could have been in the hole. Could right. Have been closer. All right. Uh, still a great golfer. Thanks very much, Squire. We're back with satellite debris right after this. How about all that jazz? No. Modern jazz? No. Jazz it up. Just the Jazz Joe Hall Show. Weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW. Hmm. All right. Fine. We used to play basketball in the backyard here. Yeah. Jazz Joe Hall had the best fadeaway jumper I ever saw in backyard untouchable. basketball. Untouchable. Oh, yeah. very good. <laughs> Guys, untouchable. We need, to, we need to get that going again. Okay, well, it was a bit rough. The, <laughs> this, it, was, it wasn't a very big space. Okay, so anyway, at some ad agency recently, someone said, we need to promote our trains. And some brilliant ad executive said, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking turtle and rollerblades.
took a while a to get there. Well done. Possibly a tortoise. It has a shell. It starts with a T. That's all I know. Okay, so what does your cat think about when it's in petting bliss and it's purring? Whiskers has the answer. And we'll stay with the animal theme. Uh, Sky TV in New Zealand, which I guess shows a lot of movies, has animals doing famous movie lines. You talking to me? You talking to me? I'll have what she's having. We're going streaking! I live my life a quarter mile at a time. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Maybe there's more to life than being really, really ridiculously good looking. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. I'll be back. Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! Bear witness to my vow. Night gathers, and now my watch begins. Some of it. We're guessing which is which. Yeah, some, some of it I knew, some of it I didn't know. The bunny had like tough guy roles. Taxi driver. That's a good point. He was doing taxi driver. First one, and then Game, Game of Thrones at the end there. Yeah. And there was a little. Uh, what is it? Harry Met Sally. Harry Met Sally. Terminator and, um, The one with uh, Tom Hanks and uh, Jack Nicholson. Blah, 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 blah. What's it called? Oh, oh um, I can't. A Few Good Men. A Few Good Men. Or A Few Good Horses in this case. That's true. All right, that's it. That's all the time we have. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'm off next week. I hate to say it. I'll see you after that. <laughs> Thanks for watching. You talking to me? <laughs> <laughs>